1. We're going to be in verse 46 through 56 today. And uh, we're following along with Pastor Mitch's sermon series for the month of December. Give him praise and glory. And you should have notes in your bulletin you can follow along with. And as you turn there, I want to remind you of just a couple of things for the church. Um, our kid check system is up and running. If you haven't registered your child, um, there's some information there. My wife will be there as well if you have any questions. Um, we're going to soft launch it through December. And then on January, the first Sunday in January, we'll have it um, rolling. So we we'll want everyone to check in um, and use your tags to get your kids checked out of. Um, you won't have to manually check them out. You just need that tag to get them out of the nursery um, or the children's area. Uh, we're just trying to implement some safety measures here at church. Um, and then also for our children's ministry on the 22nd at 530, we're changing our service time to 530 that Sunday night. We'll have our God Rods perform, our Kingdom Kids, they'll be performing some preschool stuff. And then our actual children's program will be performing that night as well. Then afterwards, we'll have a time of fellowship in the uh, Family Life Center. And then the last thing, the senior trip this Tuesday, if it rains, Betty's telling me that they're going to postpone that to Tuesday, but she'll call you or let you know exactly what's going on. And so Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 56, we're going to be talking about Mary's praise of magnificence. And so this is Mary's song or Mary's praise to the Lord when she found out that she was pregnant with Jesus. So I trust you find your place in your scriptures. We'll stand at this time and we'll read what the scripture says and then we will begin. Luke chapter 1, verse 46 says this, And Mary said, My soul doth magnifieth the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowly estate of his handmaid. For behold, from whenceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath shown strength in his arms, he has scattered the proud with the imagination of their heart. He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He has sent them empty away. Verse 54, And he hopeth his servant in Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake unto their fathers, to Abraham, to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. Let us pray. Father, we just trust that you would bless your reading of your scripture. Lord, we just thank you for allowing us again to come and open your word freely. I pray that you would help us today as we look through this scripture, as we look through these points that you've given me to help our church out this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So you can have a seat. And uh, Pastor Mitch came to me a couple of months ago and said that he would be gone to this trip and asked me if I would preach. And he said, I want you to specifically preach out of this passage and he said, you can do whatever you want, but this is the passage I want you to do. So I'm pretty excited about that because um, a lot of times when we read the story of Jesus, we go to Luke chapter 2. And we start with, in those days, a decree went out that all should be taxed. And we know those verses and we know them very familiarly. Um, but a lot of times we skip over the first chapter of Luke. Um, and one commentator said it like this. It was so important that Luke wrote down the genealogy of Jesus and how all this came about that he thought one of the wisest disciples, he was a doctor, um, as he wrote it down, he thought it was important for us to know it, so we should actually read through it and, and understand what it's saying. And so this is the song of Mary, the praise of Mary. And uh, as I began looking and, and, and thinking about this topic, giving him praise and glory and, 
And then this actual passage is the praise of magnification from Mary. I began thinking mainly worship. What does worship look like? What is worship defined as? And I wrote this down. Most worship is most easily defined as magnifying the Lord. When we magnify the Lord, we're worshiping him. And so as I began to look and I began to say, uh, a, a time for us to look and say, what am I doing on a daily basis to magnify the Lord? What does it look like in my life? I wrote down three th just simple things as I was studying through this. What is the music that I'm listening to? Because most of the time we think of worship, we think of music. What is the music that I'm listening to that's magnifying Jesus? I wrote down the next one. What are the words that I'm speaking and speaking to and from other people? What are they looking like and how is that magnifying the Lord? And the actions that I'm taking, is that magnifying to the Lord? We look at Mary's praise here and the words and the music and the actions she was taking was all lifting up Jesus. And so then this was the, sort of the challenge for me as we began this introduction. If someone were to look on the outside of my life and were sort of to walk through my life day by day, hour by hour of that day, would they see Jesus magnified in my life? Through the music, through the words, through the actions of my life, would they lift Jesus up? Would they lift myself up? Would they lift other people up? What is it that is going on in my life? And how does that look in our life? So that's sort of the challenge for today as sort of the overarching challenge as we go through this thought, be thinking through that and sort of think about what our life looks like. So let's look at this first point. We'll go through this fairly quickly. There's four points. Normally don't have a message this long, but there's so much in this passage. I wanted to do it justly. Uh, so the first one is Mary magnified his salvation. Verses 46 through 48 it says, and Mary said, my soul rejoices, uh, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for has regarded the lowliest state of his servant. Surely from now on and all generations will call me blessed. So Mary magnified Jesus in her salvation. As I got to thinking about that, I went over to Ephesians uh, chapter, <clears throat> uh, Ephesians chapter 5, where it talks about uh, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then it goes through and it says that everything that we should do, should we should sing praise through hymns and spiritual psalms and songs that lift each other up and lift up the Lord. Um, and so as Mary said that she magnified Jesus with her salvation, uh, this is talking about ways that we ourselves can also magnify the Lord through our salvation. And our salvation, man, it's awesome. We can talk about it. I'm going to share my testimony here in just a minute. Uh, but... Through our salvation, just that one word alone, she starts out by saying, My soul magnifies the Lord, rejoice in God my Savior. And she starts out by saying that she magnified Jesus as Lord. The first thing that she wanted to do is she wanted to lift Jesus and the name of Jesus up. As I began to study through this, this thought of worship and what men do and what men call worship, the first thing I saw here was, Men are created to worship. Guys, think about when you start dating your wife, when you started dating your wife that first honeymoon phase. Man, what did you do? You went and bought her flowers. You went and bought her candy. You got her cards. You began worshiping her as a woman because you were trying to win her over. Okay, and that was exciting times. And a lot of times when we get married, and me and my wife will be married almost nine years now, we sort of stray away from that. 
But God says that he created us to worship, and we're going to worship something. Okay, we're going to worship either God or we're going to worship something else. And most often, now some of you guys, and I think um, Ethan, he, he plays the guitar, and I think he wrote a song for his wife. That, uh, during, for his wife, is that right? Did you write a song and play it? Or you played a song at your wedding, right? And so he played a song, and he sang to her his wedding. That's really cool because I could never do something like that. Um, the whole wedding would have cracked up laughing at my singing. You guys already laugh at me when I sing. Uh, so it's already pretty exciting during that. Um, but most often, when we think of worship, we, want, we think of music. We think of worship in the form of music. Um, and so as I began thinking of this, it surprises me that a lot of times throughout the days, and I listen to a lot of varieties of worship music. I listen to hymns. I listen to Southern Gospel. I listen to contemporary music. I listen to praise and worship music. Uh, we're taking our kids to Extreme Winter, and they're going to have variety of music there okay so there's a lot of different style of music to worship Jesus uh, but as I began studying through this I began listening to different songs in preparation for this I began to notice the amount of songs that sort of just take Jesus out of it and they sing about this vague this vague person and I began to think when Mary wrote this this song to Jesus she said that her soul magnified the Lord and God is her savior and that she, he blesses the generation. And all of a sudden, all throughout this, she's lifting up a specific name. And I thought that as people, we are going to worship something. When, Mary, or when, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, and their lives were beginning, and every day they walked with Jesus. That's a picture of our life. Every day walking with Jesus. And as they began walking with Jesus, and as Mary in this passage began walking with Jesus, that praise turned to thanksgiving. And she began thanking God for what she had done and what, what he had done in her life. And that thanksgiving through itself turned into song or turned into word. And it's okay every once in a while when a worship song comes, and, and I'm, I'm so thankful that sometimes we do this, it's okay to raise our hand in worship. We, we, we came back from Arkansas safely, and my wife, that was her home church, and uh, she said it was so just different for her seeing her pastor stand on the front row and just raise his hands and worship Jesus and just didn't care about anybody around her. And she told me, she said, and I, she's probably not going to like what I said. She said, if you could think in my mind, if you could be in my mind when a worship song, we're singing something, the choir singing something. She said, I want to raise my hand. She said, truly in my soul, I just want to raise my hand and give honor to Jesus. She said, but my mind won't let me. She said, because I was raised, I was raised so... Uh, so rigid in the, in the way their, their worship style was. But she said, everything in me wants to just sort of overflow in praise. And that's what worship is. It's everything inside of you just coming out through a form of praise in whatever way it is, whether it's through Thanksgiving, whether it's through a statement of praise, whether it's through a lifted hand, whatever it may be, that's what it's saying here. And that's what Mary did. She magnified the Lord as Jesus. The second thing she did, she magnified him as Savior. She magnified Jesus as the Savior. And the Savior came to Mary specifically. I love this verse 47. It said, And my spirit rejoice in God my Savior. The Savior cares personally. We have a God who cares personally for each and every one of you in here. I care about each and every one of you in here. But there's needs that you have that I'll never be able to meet. There's things that you're going to go through that as a pastor, I'm never going to be able to be there for you because of a situation that I may have not experienced yet in life 
or a situation that may, I may not be able to. I'm still going to care for you. I'm going to pray for you. But the Savior of Jesus says that I care for you personally. He says he knows every number of the hairs in our head. He knows us that personally. And God says, and Mary's saying through here, that Jesus came specifically to her to be a personal deliverer. And specifically for us, he came to be our deliverer. And so as we see through this praise of Mary, we see in the same way that God cares for us. And God cares that we personally have a relationship with God. Uh, a couple weeks ago I said this, and, and I, I, when I say things, it's hard for me to forget about it. Uh, but when I said this, it really stuck with me. Um, it said that, that God doesn't have grandchildren. I don't have grandkids. Several of you, in, if you have a grandchild in here, raise your hand. Okay, so over half of the people in this crowd right now have a grandchild. Okay, and it's really exciting. Mitch talks to me all the time about having grandkids and, and how, his, how he's just sort of his eye, apple of his eye. And he cares more about Howie than I think he cares about uh, Meredith or Taylor or Lucas sometimes. Uh, but that's how, I guess that's how grandkids are. I don't know. I'm not a grandparent. Uh, but when I, when I read that statement, I wrote it down, God has no grandchildren. What that means is we specifically have to have a relationship with Jesus. We're all sons and daughters not a grandson or granddaughter just because your parent is saved doesn't mean you're going to be saved we are all specifically a child of God and we are a child that is a son and daughter not a grandson and granddaughter and so we must think of it like that that it's a personal relationship we cannot trust our parents relationship we have to trust the, our relationship with God so our Savior comes personally, that's the first one. Let's look at the second one here. Our Savior comes compassionately. Verse 48 says, For he has regarded the lowly estate of his servant. Christ is omniscient. It means he knows everything. He knows when we're going to fail him. He knows when we're going to make mistakes. He knows when we're going to screw up and, and say something to our wife we shouldn't have said or say something to our child we shouldn't have said or act out in anger against our coworker. He knows those things. He knew that we were going to make the mistakes that we made, and yet when he knew them, he still sent his son to die for us. He came compassionately. He came knowing that the compassion that he was going to share was going to overtake our life. And when we began to experience the compassion of Jesus... And the compassion that God showed during this time, how he says that he regarded the lowliest state of the servant. And he came and he even took on the form of a servant. Because he was so consumed with the compassion that he wanted to come and he wanted to show that compassion. The third thing here, the Savior blesses generationally. The Savior blesses generationally. God chose Mary in that generation and she was willing to submit her life to the Lord. He was, she was willing to forego the shame, forego everything that was going to happen in her life to experience the love that Jesus had for her. And in that same way, God is calling people from generation to generation. I'm so glad he didn't stop at Mary. I'm so glad he didn't say, you know what, Mary was my last one I was going to choose. From generation to generation to generation. And even today in 2019, Almost 2020, he's still calling people to come experience that same generational love that he has for us. And we, in that same way, have to understand that he hasn't stopped the saving business. We still must go out and tell people. We still have this awesome responsibility of telling our coworkers and telling our friends and family. 
I spoke to our youth this past Wednesday night, our middle schoolers, and I said, you are going to have more people talk to you about a personal issue these next two weeks than any other time in your life. They're going to come to you and they're going to say, hey, what do you want for Christmas? What are you excited about for Christmas? I said, people that you don't ever even talk to at school are going to come and talk to you and say, what are you getting for Christmas? And even afterwards, in January, when you go back to school, they're going to come and say, what did you get for Christmas? Because it's this comparison game. Everybody wants to compare. I said, instead of comparing, start talking about Jesus. I mean, they're coming and asking you a question. This is a great time to be able to share the love of Jesus with people. And I said, we have an awesome responsibility to share that same thing. So we need to magnify his salvation. We need to lift up the salvation that Jesus has given us. Let's look at the second one here. Magnify his character. How did Mary magnify the character of Jesus? In verse 49 and 50, it says this. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. For mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. So the first thing that Mary did was she magnified his power. She experienced the power of God firsthand. Something that no one person in this room will ever experience. I can't explain how the Holy Spirit was able to conceive Mary and she was able to bear Jesus as a son. I don't really understand how all that worked. Okay, so Mary experienced that personally firsthand. We will never experience that. Okay, but what we will experience is the conception of a new heart and that salvation and the power that he's able to do. She was extremely familiar with this power and she realized that what was impossible with man is possible with God. Reminded over in Luke where it says that um, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he says, The king said unto them that what is impossible with man is possible with God. And I shared that verse this past week with uh, the young people. I got to share sort of my story with my dad and how he had cancer when I was a young kid and how he came through that and how the doctors had only given him a couple of months. And I said it was crazy to be able to see the power and to see the outpouring of love I said, but all that turns back to giving praise to God for his power and giving praise to God for what he does. And not everyone gets to experience that healing. And I told him that. I said, not everyone gets to experience that healing that God gives. But when he does give that healing, man, we should be turning that praise right back to God. We should be saying, thank you, God, for what you have done through your power. The second thing is she magnified God or she magnified his holiness. She magnified his holiness. Our human minds cannot comprehend the holiness that God has. A lot of times we like to compare things. I like to compare things. I like to look at contrast and pros and cons and look at different chart graphs and stuff. Um, and, I, and as I began trying to illustrate this the best way I could, uh, I began to think of sort of the holy spiritual leaders in our nation over the last 100, 150, 200 years. My mind began to think of Billy Graham. Okay, all of us know Billy Graham in here. Hopefully you should. Um, he's from North Carolina. He's only about, I think he was like an hour and a half away up in the mountains is where he lived at uh, when he died. Uh, but Billy Graham was an extremely holy man. I'm going to go to his, Billy Graham's library this, this coming week with my son on a field trip. I've not been yet, so I'm excited about to be able to experience that and to be able to see his life and the holiness that he lived. My mind also went to Spurgeon, which was a great preacher back in England. They called him the Prince of Preachers. I've got his biography on my desk, uh, on my bookshelf. And as I began to think of these two men specifically, Billy Graham and Spurgeon, and their life and how holy they were, 
my mind began to think of how infinitely holier godly that God is than them. How much greater God's holiness is than these men who spent their entire life preaching the word, who spent their entire life loving on people and expositing the scriptures and preaching God's word, and yet God is so much more holier than they are. And our mind can, 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 cannot understand that, but when we just sort of magnify his holiness, because there's some things of God we're not going to understand, we just have to lift up his holy name. Let's look at this third thing. She magnified his mercy. Even though he was holy and had every right to rule with authority, he came with mercy. Think about it. Think about when uh, a young person um, starts getting promoted through a company, starts getting promoted through maybe a captain of a football team or a softball team or a soccer team. And as they begin to get a little bit of authority, most of the time a young person doesn't know how to understand that authority and they begin to get cocky or prideful and they begin to abuse that authority. Maybe like, listen to me because I'm, a, I'm the captain, you got to listen to me. Okay, we've all probably experienced that before in our life. Jesus, who with the voice of his words, the, the, the amount of speech that came out of his mouth, could form a universe, lowered himself and showed mercy on us and came and came as a servant and paid a penalty for us. I sort of wrote it down like this. He always stayed in touch with the common man. He knew what it was like to be a carpenter and to work with his hands. He knew what it was like to live in a village that was a poor village. He didn't live in a castle that had everything. He didn't live in royalty. He lived with and among the common men. And as I began studying that and, and trying to find illustrations of, of a specific person that we could relate to, uh, I came across this story. It was back in 1990 when Sam Walton, I know who Sam Walton is? Walmart. All right, perfect. Walmart. Walmart's owner, Sam Walton, was named one of the richest men of all time in 1990. And as he was sort of living his life, if you ever saw him, the story goes, if you ever saw him, you would have never known that he had any type of money. He wore overalls. Most of the time they were dirty overalls. He drove around in a beat-up pickup truck. And as he was going back and forth to work in this attire, that was his work attire, a reporter stopped him one day and they, they said, to Sam, Mr. Walton, I've got a question for you. All the other billionaires in the world... They drive Rolls Royce and Bentleys and Ferraris and Lamborghinis. Why are you driving a beat-up pickup truck? And his response was, where am I going to put my dogs? <laughs> he said, where am I going to put my dogs? If I'm driving a Rolls, there's no room for my dog in that, that, that car. So I got to drive my beat-up pickup truck so my dogs can go in the back so they can go to work with me. Okay? He never lost touch with the common man. Even with his masses amounts of riches, and you follow his sons and daughters, and they've taken that riches, and they've taken it, and they've spent it on crazy different areas, and they live that extravagant lifestyle, their father never lost touch with the common man. And that's what Jesus did. He said, you know what? I came to dwell among men. Not to dwell among the princes and dwell among the kings, but I came to show mercy to them. I wrote this down. It's going to sort of elaborate a little bit here. Three specific people Jesus came to show mercy to. In verse 51, he came to show mercy to the helpless. It's not in your notes. You can write it down. In verse 51, he came to show mercy to the helpless. It says, and he has shown strength in the arm. He scattered the proud with the imagination of their hearts. He came to help out the helpless. He came to show mercy to the humble. In verse 52, he pulled down the mighty from their thrones. And in verse 53, it says that he filled the hungry 
with good things. He came to show mercy to the hungry. And in our lives, I think we should sort of take that same approach, those three people, the helpless, the humble, and the hungry, and sort of help them out. And we do that in a lot of areas with our angel tree, and we had 25 taken out and 70 backpacks filled, and our tutoring students, are, we, we help out those helpless and we help out the hungry. And I think as a church, we're doing a great job of that. But I think personally, we need to be thinking, how can I help out these specific group of people? And so she magnified his character. The third thing, and we'll move quickly through these last two, she magnified his works. In verse 51 and verse 52, she included the great works that God had done. She began listing some of the amazing things that God had done. The first one was his work in history. She began to list and recall the times that God had worked through and of the Israelites' life. Through personally in her life and also in, in the life of this nation. And she said in verse 51, He has shown strength in his arms. He scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And as she began to write these things down, I, be, I, I almost guarantee that Mary was a scholar of history. She knew her history of her nation because all Israelites wouldn't know their history. She would have memorized the Old Testament. And so she would have known that they were once slaves in Egypt. And she was recollecting to this moment that he scattered the proud. He scattered the king at that time and the, 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 the pharaoh that was keeping them in slavery. She also remembered the removal of Nebuchadnezzar from his throne. That proud king that had enslaved the nation and how he had been taken out of his throne. All of a sudden she's remembering these things. Uh, how that she had been provided, this nation had been provided food through the desert and water through the desert with manna and quail. She is remembering the history of God through this time and the works that he had done and how he was sovereign throughout all of history. And even though that he had said that the nation of Israel was going to be blessed and they had went into slavery and they had went into captivity, God still was in control and she was recognizing those things. And so she recognized him in history, and we should do those things, same things. She also recognized the works in prophecy. Mary noted that the past historical events also looked to the future and noted the things to come. And she noticed that the things that were going to come were going to be to pull down the mighty. And that God says all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout Proverbs, and even into the New Testament, and even into Matthew, it says that whoever will exalt himself will be brought down, and whoever will be humble will be exalted and we see that there's prophecy all through here and how mary was excited to see that god was going to work through the future and that we need to not lift ourselves up and i'm guilty of this a lot of times but we need to do our job which is to just exalt him and just exalt jesus in everything that we do and so we'll look at our fourth point and our final point i want to get you out of here on time magnification or magnifying his faithfulness and we'll end with this and I've got a conclusion here magnifying his faithfulness Mary ends this song of praise with the faithfulness seen throughout mankind the first thing was his temporal provisions in verse 53 this is speaking of the ones who are spiritually hungry and God says he's gonna fill them he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty this is not only just talking about our physical elements of wanting food, but this is talking about our spiritual need and our spiritual hunger for God's word. I wrote this down. Are you spiritually hungry for God today? 
is there something that you cannot go a day without? Whether it be, Sherry's not in here, but I know Sherry drinks a sun drop every single day of her life. Isn't that right, James? Okay, if she doesn't go without a sun drop, she starts getting a little crazy. Okay, James wants to find a way to get out of the house. Okay, go find her a sun drop. Okay, she starts shaking a little bit. Uh, so there's things that we can't go days without. Okay, and we could all probably list something that we have to go every day with. Um, but let me ask you, is there a day that you can go without God? Is there a day in the morning where, you know what, I don't really want to read my Bible today. I don't really need God today. I wrote this down as I was studying through this. If you are filled with the world's desires, you will never hunger for the things of God. If you've got so much of the world's desires in you, you'll never want to see anything that God wants to do in your life. Because God can't pour into your life because you're already full. That's why he says that we've got to empty of ourselves so that he can fill us. And so we have to look at ourselves and say, yes, there's temporal provisions and God provides a house for us and provides clothes for us and we're thankful for that. But he also desires for us to be spiritually full and to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he wants us to see that. He wants us to experience that. There's also an eternal provision. Mary was thankful for the temporal provision of God, but even more thankful for the internal provisions of God provided by his son. The salvation for all. And it mentions two specific people here in verse 54 and 55. It mentions the remembrance of Israel. And we talked about that. But he also mentions that he will remember us. It says that from generation and descendants forever. He has remembered the promise of our salvation as well. And if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior today, he hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten the good things for you. And he wants us to understand that he is here for us. And so in closing, as our musicians come and Mark comes and gets ready, and you can start playing once you get there. I want us to sort of bring all this into a, a nutshell and sort of condense this into a couple of statements. Mary was a 13 to 15-year-old child when she, was, when she conceived Jesus. Most scholars tell us that that's what age she was. She had some very difficult circumstances in her life. Imagine a 13 to 15-year-old, let's just say 15-year-old girl, wasn't married, going to school, living life, and she's pregnant. That's, in our day and age right now, that's a, that's a scary thing. But in this day and age, and it was even the norm for that, but she wasn't married, so it was unnormal. She was faced with some pretty extreme circumstances. And she had a choice. Am I going to worry or am I going to worship? She said, the circumstances are around me. And despite all the circumstances, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to pen these words. I want to magnify the Lord. I want to rejoice in God my Savior. She magnified him for who he was and the things that he had done. And the miraculous way that he had provided the salvation for the world was through her. And she could have ran and said, you know what? This is too hard for me. This is too much for me and I'm done with this. And she could have rejected it. But instead she chose to live the hard life. She chose to experience this harder way of living and she was able to bring in the salvation of the world. So my question for us today is, there's difficult times in our life. 
We're going to go through a lot of different things in our life. Some of you in here have went through many, many more years than I've ever experienced. I'm only 31 years old. And we've went through some hard times. I remember when I first got married, we had moved to Idaho, and we had $10 in our account. We paid our rent, and that's all we had. And for two weeks, we lived on soup. God provided for us. It was hard, but we got through it. I'm still alive. I've still got food in my belly. I'm still fat. Okay? But it was hard. In those first couple of years, man, we're like, man, is this even what we're supposed to be doing? And God just said, just push through. It's okay. Circumstances aren't going to always be great. And we're going to have trials in our life, and we're going to be confronted with the choice. Are you going to worry? Are you going to worship? Mary chose to worship. Mary chose to say, God, I'm going to give you the praise. I'm going to give you the glory. I'm going to give you everything. But what are we going to choose? Are we going to choose to worry? Because we're, wor- we're, we're creatures of worry. My wife worries a lot more than I do. But we are creatures of worry. And instead of worrying, let's turn that worry into worship. And let's say, God, I want to magnify your name this Christmas season. It's not going to be perfect. Things aren't going to be great. I'm sure this Christmas season for Mary wasn't the greatest Christmas season. She probably got made up by her family. I'm sure she got ridiculed and people talked behind her back. But she chose to turn that worry to worship. So that's what I've got for us. We're going to pray, have a time of decision for altar time. And I want to ask you, what are you going to choose today? Father, we want to come and thank you. Lord, be with this message that you've given me. I pray that you'll help us to have a time of just reflection tonight, today. And in your name we pray. Amen. Altars are open. We'll stand and sing this song. Page 319, near the cross.